This is episode number 36 of Poolside Podcast, and I'm your host, Rachel Ensi. I'm so pumped for the guest of this episode because I basically spend all of my money at her restaurants, as well as they are my number one choice when deciding where to go. And as soon as you hear who she is and the restaurants she owns, they are probably at the top of your favorite Calgary restaurants list too. Jamie McFadden and her husband own Una, Oxnangela, Native Tongues, Frenchie, and Bread and Circus. So I'm guessing that one of those is your favorite restaurant. If you asked Calgarians in general what a classic YYC restaurant is or where they take tourists when they first get here, Una is probably one of the first restaurants they name. I know that that is the restaurant that I take all of my incoming guests too because it is amazing and you can't go wrong with the frambaji pizza with the kale salad. Am I right? Jamie sits down with me and shares where the idea for Una came from and how their first business plan failed but in the end worked out because Una was born. Two years later they opened Ox because they wanted a cocktail bar for their Una waitlisted guest to wait for a table. Jamie shares her love for hospitality and how it continued and continues today to inspire her every day to get out of bed. The customer interactions, a good experience and good food can really impact a person's day and she feels that customer service is one of the most important parts of running a restaurant. It's not about the food, it's about the people in the restaurant and we all know that because you can have good food but if the service is bad, you'll probably never go back. It doesn't matter how good the food was. Uh, their secret sauce for success, since they are running five restaurants, doesn't have anything to do with the delicious food they are serving, but the joy that the customers feel when they dine in at any of their restaurants. As you know, if you've ever eaten at these restaurants, if you haven't, you should get to all of them right away. The atmosphere and feeling of belonging in the restaurant is something that you just can't deny. This was something that happened naturally from day one, but has been the underlying success in all of their restaurants, and that has what kept them open and alive even when other Calgary restaurants have had to close their doors. Jamie shares the lessons she has learned along the way about running restaurants, about business, and life in general. She also gives her advice on being able to find a balance between work and life, why keeping her health a priority is so important, and advice on finding the perfect business partner, whether that is your husband or a friend or another person. So let's get into it. I know you want to hear more about Una. Here is Jamie. Welcome back to the podcast. I am sitting here with Jamie. Thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Do you want to start with introducing yourself, who you are, and what you do? My name is Jamie McFadden. I am a restaurateur. I've been in business uh, for 10 years for myself, um, all in restaurants, and I've been in the restaurant industry for almost 25 years. Oh, it's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and before we get into the restaurants that you own, mm -hmm. do you want to uh, talk about what you wanted to be when you grew up? Was that always your idea or did it change? I always loved food. I originally wanted to be a veterinarian when I was really young, but then having experiences with pets dying uh, from an early age, I knew that I could not be a vet. Right. <laughs> uh, just very devastating experiences. And then it was 
pretty apparent early on that I would do something with with food. I actually wanted to go to school to be a chef, which I thought was going to be my like trajectory for my career from pretty like early age. I was a really weird kid. I took lots of like after school classes at the Y when I was like 12 with like middle-aged women on like Chinese cooking and like <laughs> how to make sushi and it was kind of late 80s like early 90s and it was just a lot of yeah like extracurricular um cooking classes but it was mostly middle-aged women that were in the classes with me I was the youngest by like decades and I would host dinner parties for my parents and their friends uh like on a Friday night when I was like 14 years old uh they'd have like 12 people over for dinner and I would like cook and serve and I loved food and I loved like putting food together and experimenting with like flavors and textures and and uh and that kind of thing but what I really fell in love with was hospitality was the service aspect of it and uh making someone's you know night or evening or day for them and as I got older and was able to work in the hospitality industry that was kind of what made me fall in love with with hospitality and with this industry was just you know really understanding that you can really affect someone's life by you know taking care of them in like a hospitable way. Right. Um, but when I was 18, I actually did apply for for chef school. I was going to go to the Cordon Bleu Institute in in the states, and I at the same time was applying for an exchange program in Europe. And I decided to go to Europe instead of go to school. I thought I would I would kind of just postpone cooking school and go later. And when I went to Europe, I kind of fell in love with French literature and like art. And so that's what I came back home and, and focused on that in university and kind of cooking went by the wayside. But I always kept a foot in, in restaurants and hospitality, whether it was like working in a coffee shop or in a bakery or, or serving in a restaurant, like always just kind of, you know, kept the foot in the door in that business. Right. That's yeah. awesome. And then do you want to share the journey then from that point up to opening your first restaurant, which was Una. <laughs> yeah. So a lot happened, a lot happened between then. Uh, I was really struggling in university. I just didn't know what I wanted to do or like what my path was. I didn't love what I was taking in university. And I had a really good friend and he just said to me, he's like, if you could do anything in the world, like if you could be paid to do anything, like what would you want to, what would you want to be paid to do? And I said, I would want to be paid to like write. I really enjoyed like writing and I was like good at it. It was like came really easy to me and taking French literature. There's a lot of like written French in that. And I mean, I could write, I'd write an essay in an hour and get like an A on it. Like it just came really easy to me. And I yeah, wasn't loving the French literature or the art history courses. So I looked into different programs. Uh, I was living on Vancouver Island at the time. And I found a school uh, called the Western Academy of Photography, and they had a photojournalism uh, program that was uh, half photography and half writing classes. And I thought it was perfect because I really loved photography as well. It was kind of something I had dabbled with uh, in high school. Uh, my dad and I had like made a camera together oh, once cool. for like a science project. And so I just thought that sounded really interesting. Uh, so. I, I stopped going to university and I went and did a diploma in photojournalism and I worked in that industry for a couple of years and then through that actually led into like a career in public relations and then ended up going to school for public relations uh, just to 
have a bit more of a background or basis in that and understanding of, of what that that was. And I just wasn't really fulfilled. And again, throughout the whole time, I would work weekends in a restaurant. And that's where I got enjoyment from was working with customers, food and wine pairing, and just the energy that a restaurant can bring. And excuse me. And uh, so my partner, Kelly, uh, at the time, got a job in the Turks and Caicos um, at a resort there. And so we decided to like pack up and move to the Caribbean. And uh, I didn't really feel like I was leaving anything behind that I was going to miss. And so we lived in the Turks and Caicos for almost a year. And we were leaving the Caribbean for uh, hurricane season, which is just the summer, basically. Everything shuts down. So everyone was kind of laid off for the summer. And we had a friend that was living in Calgary that was, uh, and we had never been to Calgary before. And we didn't really have anything to go back to Vancouver Island for or back to BC for. So we just thought, well, it's just for the summer. You know, why don't we just, uh, I don't know, try it out and live in a different city. And I had heard, you know, not great things about about Calgary <laughs> growing up in BC. And we moved here and that was 13 years ago. We decided not to go back to the Caribbean and it became pretty apparent pretty quickly that we would open up a business in in Calgary for a number of reasons. And we we thought that we could stand out more than we could in another market. At the time, there was a lot of like chain restaurants in Calgary, but there wasn't a lot of really like small, independent, kind of like mom and pop, you know, kind of shops. And uh, and so we just saw an opportunity to uh, do something that we thought would stand out, something the city needed. Nothing was open past like nine or 10 o'clock, maybe 10, maybe 11 on the weekends, unless it was like a pub or something, um, but no restaurant. And so we we just kind of saw this yeah, opportunity to, to do something. And that was really like what solidified that we'd stay in Calgary. Cool. No, that's that's awesome. And that was thirteen years ago. That was yeah. So we moved here thirteen years ago, and and Una, our first restaurant, we opened nine years ago. Right, because you're just celebrating the yeah the ninth, ninth year anniversary. Yeah. Um, so where did that idea come from? Why? How did you decide on pizza? <laughs> what was that whole thing? Uh, well, originally we had a completely different business plan. We were going to open up uh, a French brasserie called Park, and Park was a name that we came up with. Uh, because we just liked that it like like kind of um, uh, personified like community, like parks are a place that like people, you know, can have picnics and join, join other people from their community and they kind of bring people together. And so we, we worked on that for two years. We wrote a business plan, we had investors, we looked for spaces. Uh, we actually even had leases signed for locations. And just for a number of reasons, leases fell through. And through that process, we met uh, a woman who had a space on 17th Avenue and she knew that we were looking for uh, for a restaurant space. And she said, you know, would you be interested in this location for Park? And uh, at the time, her, her it was a business it was called Wicked Wedge Pizza. I don't know if you're familiar no, with that. It was kind of iconic pizza place <laughs> yeah. in, uh, in, in Calgary. And she had purchased it a couple of years um, prior for her niece and her niece just didn't want to operate the business anymore. And so she called me and, and asked about if I'd be interested in it for park. And we went and looked at the space and it was just a bit too small and too narrow. And 17th Ave, 17th Ave at the time was a bit rough too. And I just, park was a bit more of like an upscale French brasserie. And I just couldn't picture, you know, people getting dressed up for dinner and, and uh, you know, there's no parking, like just all these, these things that didn't really suit um, 
suit the business. And uh, so we went and looked at it and we we're like, oh yeah, just don't think it's right for park. And then Kelly and I just started talking about it and he's and he said, you know, park is not really working out. Like we've, you know, kind of hit all these like roadblocks. And at the time we were spending a lot of uh, time in San Francisco. Um, we, there was like one year, I think we went there like six times and it was just a quick flight. And one thing that San Francisco is really known for is pizza. Every neighborhood has a neighborhood pizzeria. And so we were spending time in San Francisco. One way that we were really getting to know these neighborhoods was going to their pizza places. And we really loved that, you know, the clientele would kind of change as the hours change, you know, like at four or five o'clock you'd have young families in. So like, you know, kids and, and parents meeting up after work. And then you'd have, you know, a little bit later, you'd have maybe people on dates. And then after that, you'd have people from other restaurants coming in for pizza after work and just sitting there and observing how that restaurant or those restaurants brought people together. We just kind of started thinking like, maybe we should just do a 180 here and, you know, change what we had this idea of doing for a restaurant and think about doing a, a full service sit down pizzeria, which the city at the time didn't have. There was one Napolitana place in Kensington um, and then a few other more like specific like Italian kind of places, but we were really interested in Californian pizza. And so basically just was, you know, was that, uh, that just thought that kind of um, decided that we would do a, a pizzeria. And then we called the woman that owned Wicked Wedge and we said, you know, we actually are interested in, in, in the space. And she said, okay, great. I'm closing the doors tomorrow and here's the keys. <laughs> So it like happened really, really fast. So we just rewrote our business plan really quickly and, uh, you know, had to figure out like how we were going to get the money to, to do it. Uh, the investors that we had lined up for park weren't necessarily interested in, in being involved in, in the pizza place. And a lot of people that told us that we could rely on them for money, of course, you know, when it come push comes to shove, like maybe it was the right timing for them or so it just didn't really work out. Um, but the woman that owned the Wicked Wedge, um, in the end, not only gave us the keys for the business, but actually helped us like financially get open. And so just was all meant to be, yeah. you know, but just two years of really like hitting your head against the wall. And then one thing happens and it was just, you know, this was the right path, obviously. Right. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. And for the menu and for everything, did you guys come up with that or did you bring in other people to like we, the creative and food and everything that goes into it. We had written we had written the menu um, by ourselves. Like Kelly and I had a menu for our business plan, and throughout the process, um, uh, Gail that owned the the uh, Wicked Wedge previously, um, now that she was like a partner in the business, you know she and she's a incredible foodie. She owned City Palette at the time, and she owns Cookbook Company, and she really knows food. So then you know she was involved with the process with the menu, and we. We're, we're going to hire a chef as a consultant and the chef that we uh, approached to see if he'd be interested in consulting throughout the process ended up becoming a partner as well. He just became really excited about the project. So it was kind of the four of us that, you know, kind of brainstormed like what the first menu would, would look like. And, uh, and then the menu development was, was really like Steve, our chef that really ran with it. Right. And do you have any pizzas that were initially on the menu that are still on the menu today? I was actually thinking about that the other day. <laughs> the only two that I think are still the same are the prosciutto and the margarita, okay. which are pretty like classic yeah. pizzas. Um, there's iterations of of pizzas that are similar, um, but yeah, everything else is 
is pretty much different for the pizzas. Yeah. Yeah. And how has the restaurant evolved from the first yeah. day to the ninth year day? Oh, man. <laughs> so much. We actually found uh, a menu from when we first opened yeah. <laughs> um, just a little while ago. And it's actually hilarious, like, looking back on the menu. Because even trends in food, how they change. Right. You know, we have a section of our menu that's pizza and then not pizza. And the not pizza section is more like kind of shared plates. And when we first opened, it was heavily Spanish influenced. Uh, the bar actually at Una, where customers sit and is our garde manger station, was designed after uh, Spanish tapas bars, where you like would sit at the bar and the bartender would be making you food and serving right. you as well. And so a huge portion of our of our menu was uh, like snack like. Spanish snack. So there's a really famous um, Spanish snack in San Sebastian called a pincho that basically it just comes on a stick. So it could be anything on a skewer. And we had that on the menu. And now looking back, that seems, you know, like a totally different lifetime. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I mean, the menus evolved, evolved a lot. Like as our customer, you know, their palates have evolved and food trends have evolved. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's changed. Uh, there's still a few like customer favorites like Zambuca prawns and meatballs and uh kale well the kale salad's been on the menu almost since day one uh yeah. that have that have stayed but other than that it's uh I would say the essence has stayed the same like you know where we get our product from and um that we want to be like really fresh and like aluminum cooking so a lot of the foods like made to order that stayed the same but as far as the dishes go a lot of them are are really different yeah and so you talked about the Spanish food. So yeah. then you had Un open and then less than two years later, you decided you should open another restaurant. So what was that thought process and the transition and whole journey like? Uh, yeah. And in hindsight, we were crazy to open up another <laughs> restaurant so soon. And the, the, the thought process orig originally was we had a wait at Una seven, seven nights a week. And the number one question when people would come and put their name on the wait list is where can we go for a drink while we're waiting? And at the time, the only thing on 17th Avenue were pubs. And a lot, we found a lot of our customers weren't comfortable going to a pub to have a drink while they're waiting. They wanted something that was maybe a bit more um, like upscale. And so we would just kind of tossed around the idea of why don't we just open up our own cocktail place? Um, at the time the city had no cocktail restaurants, um, and cocktails, we could see that were be starting to become a trend. Uh, wine was a bit on the, like wine bars and, the, and that kind of thing was kind of like on the way out and cocktails were in other, in other cities were really, you know, hot. And so we, we thought that we were going to open up a cocktail bar. And so we were looking for spaces and we couldn't find anything that was small enough to do just a nice, you know, 30 seat cocktail bar and the space where uh our spanish restaurant ended up opening up ox and angela um was just too big just to do a cocktail bar so we had this idea of splitting down the menu doing a cocktail bar on one side and then a small little restaurant on the other side and yeah at the time we were obsessed with spanish food a huge yeah. portion of our <laughs> menu at una was spanish uh, a lot of the restaurants that we were checking out in uh in the states were were spanish uh, again, talking about food trends at the time, um, Spain was like really hot on like food blogs and and uh, a few key Spanish chefs that had come over from Spain to uh, North America were really making waves in the food industry. And we were just like, really inspired and loved the way they eat. Like 
you know, a lot of people know what like small plates are and that's what tapas are essentially. And just a really fun way, fun, casual way of, of having dinner. And again, it was something the city didn't have. So we just thought, you know, it'd be kind of a way to stand out and it's kind of fun giving your city and your community, you know, something that it, it hasn't had before. Right. And did you find that it was easier opening up the second restaurant since you like just went through it or was it kind of still? We, we, we definitely thought it was going to be easier than it actually was. Yeah. And I would say that was like a detriment, a detriment to us. We just thought, you know, we had done this once that we can do it again. And I don't want to say that we phoned it in, but we definitely with Una, we were, you know, paying such close attention to every single little thing that was happening in the development phase and the construction phase and the opening phase. And with Ox and Angela, it was, you know, we all, um, so Kelly, myself and Steve, our chef partner at the time, were all working full time at Una. And so it was, you know, we were working, you know, 16 hours a day at Una and then trying to open up a second restaurant. So we were also pulled in like a lot of different directions. And yeah, I think that we just thought it would be easier to open a a second time around. And I think if it had been an Una again, it would have been, but it was a completely different style of service. Um, You know, huge cocktail program uh, that, you know, no one in the city had seen before. And so we brought in like cocktail consultants from London to help us with that, with that program. And then the challenge of, you know, a really unique and different kind of food as well was a challenge. Right. Yeah. yeah no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Going from pizza to yeah, tapas. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so throughout then you also own Native Tongues and Bread and Circus and Frenchie. Yeah. Um, so how do you decide which type of restaurant to open next? So you like Spanish foods, so that yeah. one kind of made sense, but then how do you decide what's next to open? Native Tongues happened really, uh, organically. It was actually one of our staff who had worked for us at Una previously, uh, who presented a business plan, uh, to us with an idea that he had for, uh, a kind of a really casual, like taqueria and, we knew his work ethic and he had, you know, he had gone to school to be a chef. He had gone to school to be a sommelier. So he had, and he worked in the restaurant and, uh, he presented the business plan to us and we just kind of got excited about, you know, about doing something else with an operating partner. We knew how difficult it was when we opened our first two restaurants to fund them. Um, we did this almost a hundred percent by ourselves and, uh, so, you know, a few years after opening um, our first two restaurants, it was kind of not only an opportunity to partner with somebody, but also to help them out financially when we knew how difficult it was. And by this time, too, we'd had like really great systems in place, um, you know, inventory and cost controls and uh, po- uh, policies and procedures manuals and training manuals. And so we we felt more confident than when we opened Ox that we could kind of go in and and really uh, make the opening easier. Um, so that was kind of where that came from. So that was kind of our partner's, um, dream was the, the, the taqueria. And it evolved a lot from the time that he first bought us the business plan to what, what it is now as businesses do. Um, but that was where that came from. Um, Brighton Circus, uh, was an inspiration from a trip that Kelly and I took to Italy specifically to get inspired. We had the space for Brighton Circus that was empty. There was the space was being used for nothing. And we knew that we wanted to do something that was a compliment to pizza. Uh, and we knew that we wanted to do something that was for a bit of an older client, like an older customer having Una for nine years, we saw, 
you know, our, our original, our original customer, like grow up, maybe get married, have kids. And now they're going out for dinner uh, in a different way than they were before. And so we wanted to kind of appeal to that guest and kind of bring them back into our, into our environment. Uh, so we booked a trip to Italy, not really knowing what we were looking for, but just really needing to get some inspiration outside of, outside of our city. And we fell in love with Rome and the, the trattorias there specifically. Uh, trattorias originally came out of grocery stores. You would actually either walk through a grocery store or they were in the back of a grocery store and they were set up uh, just really casual, you know, whatever they were cooking that day. So small menus, mostly pasta focused. And uh, and we just thought it really was a compliment to Una Takeaway because you actually have to walk through Una Takeaway to get into Brandon Circus. So there's just kind of all these things that, that, really, that really fit. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing that we've always wanted is to have legacy restaurants, to have restaurants that are going to be, you know, in operation 40 years from now. And a lot of the trattorias that we ate at, you know, had been there since like the 50s. Right. And, uh, and so that was just where we got the inspiration for that. And then Frenchie Wine Bar was inspired by a trip that I took to uh, Burgundy in France and a wine bar that I had an experience in there that was set up like a bar. But instead of serving booze, they just served wine and, <laughs> and it was totally rowdy and it was like all winemakers hanging out in the space and all they served was meat and cheese or meat and cheese and just really fun, but really good wine list and just making wine like a bit more approachable, right. you know, rather than, yeah, a bit uh, um, exclusive. Mm-hmm. And we just had this really small space tucked in behind doing a takeaway that we just felt would be yeah right for for that kind of concept yeah and it obviously was yeah it's doing quite well (laughs) and so what is your favorite part about owning and running these restaurants I know you started because you love the hospitality is that still the general consensus I definitely do what I do every day because of 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 hospitality and and that encompasses the people too like I love the relationships that we've that we've built and feel honored to have you know, connections to certain people in our community that we would not have had if it wasn't for the restaurants. Um, and yeah, we've met some incredible people through like from suppliers, from guests to staff. And it really, it really feels like it is, it's a family. Like there's, you know, something kind of special and like energizing when, when I walk into, when I walk into work every day. And it's definitely the people that I work alongside that kind of get me out of bed, but it, it definitely is the hospitality that I am most inspired by. I, when I was younger, I had a really, uh, interesting interaction with a customer when I was like 16 in a coffee shop that I worked in. And it just, it really made me understand that we can affect like our energy and how we act towards someone and the kindness that we can show someone can really affect not only their day, but possibly their life. And that is a pleasure that in our industry that we have, and we get to do that hundreds of times a day. And I really, really enjoy that. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, hospitality, someone that's good at hospitality, it just comes easy too. like people work in our business because they love working with people and they love making people happy. Right. And then you're serving good food too. Yeah. Which just tops it <laughs> totally. all up. Yeah. <laughs> Your BMX group, yeah. is that what's, how you say it, yeah. BMX? So you guys are 
obviously very successful and you're running some of the best restaurants in Calgary. Oh, thank you. Lots of them were nominated <laughs> for the Best of Calgary awards that are happening right now um, and Top 40 Under 40. And so you guys have been around and in Calgary, I feel either restaurants are there and they're classic restaurants mm-hmm. or they just come and go. Yeah. So would you say you have any like secret sauce or like advice for that you found has worked for standing out yeah. and being able to maintain that success for so long? It was actually interesting. Um, we So we actually have an Una in Saskatoon as well. I saw that. That's cool. And when we were thinking about doing that, that project, uh, and it came to us, a couple that lived out there approached us mm-hmm. and talked to us about, about partnering with them and doing something in, in that market. That's the question that people always ask. Because they're always like, right. why Saskatoon? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so throughout that process, we hired an expansion strategist. And she's from Vancouver. And she came into our business. And she interviewed us. She interviewed our staff. She interviewed some of our customers. And she asked all of our customers and our staff what their top three reasons were for either working at Una or for being a regular. And she said that no one in the top three mentioned the food. She said that she actually had to ask people if the food was good. Right. <laughs> and they're like, oh yeah, the food's good, but that's not why we come here. And that was a really big eye-opening ex- like experience for us because the number one thing that people commented on was that it was the atmosphere. And what they meant by that was that there was like this like sense of belonging. Like they felt like they were like part of something when they, when they would come in there as a guest. Um, the staff was a big part of it. Um, as well. So it was really like the atmosphere and like how the restaurant made people feel. And just recently I was actually speaking to an emotional wellness coach coach about that. And he said that what that secret sauce is, is that he said it's joy. He said there's, and joy is a sense of belonging and identity. And he said that you have that in the restaurant and customers, whether they can put their finger on it or, or not can feel that. And that's just something that just happened naturally from day one and even if we have like staff coming and going it just seems that we're attracting those people that you know project that joy onto our customers and i think that that is the secret sauce is that you know the food the food is good but the secret sauce is not our sauce right (laughs) it actually is just this like sense of like belonging and like you're part of something when you're when you're in the restaurant and it kind of fills you up, you know, we all have been into like environments that can like drain us or be around people that drain us. And yeah, for some reason, the restaurant, it fills people up and, and can take someone's really crappy day and, you know, turn it around. Right. I love that. One that is plays that your restaurants have lasted then too, because even if you do have good food, you come in and you don't feel good or you have had bad service or something, totally. you're not going to go back. It doesn't matter how good the food is. Totally. So that's... That's interesting. Yeah. But that was obviously something that just happened yeah. organically with you guys. Yeah. Yeah. There's a statistic in restaurants that they say that, you know, good service can save bad food, but good food can't save bad service. Totally. Yeah. yeah. That's a hundred percent true. Um, and how important has the marketing and branding for all of these restaurants played a part in being this successful? I mean, the marketing and the branding is something that happens so organically for us. And we also opened at such a different time than now. Right. I feel like right, right now it's a really hard time for brands to stand out. There's just like so much noise. Mm-hmm. Uh, for us, I would say the longevity of our brand. And one thing that that I think has really been a success for us is, is like our story. You know, is the kind of storytelling aspect of it. It seems like we're in a time right now where 
what brands people resonate with is a brand that they either that they feel like very strongly like aligned with. So like what the vision and values are of this company, like I also have the same vision and values, so I align myself with this company. And then if they understand and and feel like they're like a part of of the story. Like last year for our 8th birthday, we did a giveaway that was called Una for Life, and we asked our guests to post an experience that they had had at Una and share, you know, kind of us maybe a special memory about about the restaurant or something that happened. And then we would give it, the giveaway was a thousand dollars a year for the life of, of Una, which is hopefully forever. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was actually really, you know, like heartwarming. And a couple of the stories like actually like brought tears to my eyes, these like special moments that people had had in the restaurant, you know, whether it was like someone getting engaged or, um, you know, even some of them were like a bit like sat more sad, like a maybe a sad day, like somebody, you know, coming from a funeral or something and then coming in and just being in like a really warm, you know, kind environment. And I think that for us that like the story and just that like sense of belonging has been like huge with our, with our branding and everything that we've done has been, yeah, pretty organic. Like we haven't spent like a ton of money on, you know, logos or anything like our first logo Kelly designed, you know, the Una pizza and wine logo. Um, Kelly designs and we do work here and there with with uh with a local like marketing and branding company if we're doing like promotions for something and we need a poster or that kind of thing or mm-hmm. you know pop up on our own website but other than that everything's been pretty been pretty organic yeah that's awesome and can you give an example um of like a detrimental experience or a mistake or something that went wrong or like a failure um, throughout any of the restaurants over the time and how you kind of overcame that and what lessons you learned as a business owner. Yeah. I mean, there's been a lot, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, I, there's a podcast I listen to called without fail. I don't know if you've listened to no, it I haven't. <laughs> and they interview very other successful people or, or businesses and basically just to, you know, point out that, everyone has to go through failures and yeah we've had some we've had some really tough times you know times when we actually thought we were gonna lose everything like go bankrupt and um you know we borrowed money from kelly's mom's house on when we first opened una and you know she's retired and so going through a stress where we thought that we were gonna lose that money and you know have to worry about where she's going to live. And so there was definitely a lot of, a lot of times. I think the most recent one, um, was when we opened at Una Takeaway two years ago, we took a way bigger imprint, um, for like square footage wise for Una Takeaway than, than we actually needed. We were really glamored at the time by, uh, locations in, in bigger cities that just have bigger populations and, you know, have the ability, but there's just enough people to kind of support, to support a business that's doing a lot of things. And we had this big, like we were doing like a big bakery program and like tons of pastries and cakes and like sandwiches and salads. And people would come in and, you know, say like, oh, it's cool that you're doing that, but I just want my formaggi pizza and kale salad. Right. And so it became pretty clear, like after six months of opening that we had made a huge mistake. We were throwing out a ton of food, uh, which is, you know, for both Kelly and I is like one of our, like, you know, really, uh, like hurts our hearts to see food wasted. Um, and then we were employing all these people to make all this food that we were then going, that was then going in the garbage. And 
it was also at the time when there was a huge downturn in the economy. So people weren't spending money. And we blew through, in six months, we blew through like all of our savings and so much money just going through like paying for payroll. Um, you know, we didn't pay ourselves for six months and we didn't know how we were going to survive, like let alone how this business was going to survive. And uh, so we made the decision to shrink in a takeaway. Uh, and that was the only time in like almost 10 years that we had to do layoffs, which was really tough. Like I called my business coach and, uh, and just was, you know, kind of working through like financially what we were going through and, and, uh, it became like, it was like glaring, like so clear, like what we had to do. And I think we were just kind of limping along because we didn't want to face the reality that we had, you know, made this, um, or created this business that nobody really wanted. And that with that, we'd have to not only admit that we had made a huge mistake, but also, you know, had a bunch of staff that we would have to lay off. And that was, you know, that was probably the hardest time in like nine years of, of business. Um, yeah, I like bawled the day that we had to like let everybody go. And it, yeah, just cause it's like those people feel like family. Right. Yeah. So that was probably, that was the most challenging thing, but it was the smartest business decision. And if we had made that decision, we probably would have lost everything and then everyone would have lost their jobs. So it was, you know, it was the right, it was the right decision for the rest of the business and the rest of the team there. Mm -hmm. But that was, that was really tough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But we did it. We closed it down. Uh, We shrunk into takeaway to a smaller size and it was something that we should have done from, from day one and, uh, and was essentially like what our customers just wanted was a, just a pickup window. Right. Yeah. They just want the pizza. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Without having to wait in line. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. (laughs) And if you could go back to before you opened Una or at the beginnings of that, Mm -hmm. is there anything that you would have done differently? Yeah, this is a tough, this is a tough question because I've learned so many lessons along the way about business, about myself that I don't know that there's anything that I would have done differently because I feel like all those experiences have brought me to the place that I am today. I think if I could offer myself any advice, it would just be that nothing is permanent and not to like lose like too much sleep over, you know, a stress that I nine years later don't even remember. Uh, Cause there was a lot of, a lot of uh, sleepless nights or like waking up at 3am and you know, worrying about something and, and, uh, and my health suffered a lot for the first couple of years because of that. And in hindsight, I mean, I can't remember those, what that was that woke me up at, at 3am that seemed like so important at the time. And, and now, you know, yeah, nine years later, like right. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure in nine years you'll look back and be like, I don't yeah, remember those problems totally, either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you kind of touched upon it now, but what have been some of the biggest lessons about, uh, business and then life in general that you've learned over the last 10 years since owning those businesses? I mean, I think the biggest lesson is that it takes a village. It's no matter what you're doing in life, you know, it really is about like happiness is the, is the people that you spend, that you spend time with and it building those relationships is, is not only so important because you can rely on those people when times are tough, but those people like want to support you when times are tough. You know, if you need someone to help pick you up, um, 
whether it's like emotionally or people that have like saved us like financially, you know, at a, at a specific time, it's if we hadn't nurtured those, you know, those relationships and also been able to like reach out and ask for help when we needed it, we would be in a very different position than, than we are today. So I would say like, yeah, one of the biggest lessons is like, it takes a, it takes a village and if people are reaching out and offering help, like take it. Right. And that I think is really hard to do because no one wants to admit that they, you know, were maybe made a mistake or that they need help. Um, and it's funny because the one thing that we always tell our staff is like asking for help is a sign of strength. It's not a sign of weakness, but it's hard advice to take yourself. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'd say that was, would be like the biggest like personal lesson. And I mean, there's been so many lessons along, along the way. Um, you know, just being able to really like stay calm and no matter what situation has been a really big, a big lesson, not letting my emotions get the better of me in, in stressful situations. Uh, even if the other person is getting emotional, it just makes the, you know, it diffuses the situation if, if you're able to stay calm in it. Uh, and lessons in business, I mean, the last couple of years have definitely made me a better business owner. Uh, we opened at a time that was, you know, pretty good in the city and money was flowing and we were able, we were lucky that we were able to pay for like a lot of mistakes. And then the last recession that we had definitely made us like pull up our socks and like look at all the money that we're spending and like where everything's going and, you know, waste and like what maybe we don't need and can go without and really just paying attention to, to our bottom line. Yeah. I think those are good for for all lessons, yeah. <laughs> really. Um, and how have you and Kelly worked together? How have you mm-hmm. learned to work together? Because lots of people, some people say, like, don't work with your yeah. partners. Have a friend. Don't do a friend. You know, yeah. like, there's so much advice going around. I know. Partner, partnerships are tough, I think, no matter what. Um, right from day one, Kelly and I had, like, very different roles in the business. And it was nothing that we actually originally had discussed. It just kind of naturally happened that he was taking care of more like the financial side of the business, inventory, ordering, cost controls, checks got written by him. I'm terrible with money, so that worked really well. And then I was in charge of all the staff, you know, anything like training, all that kind of thing. So we just were, it was, we were working together, but it was very separate. Um, But there was times like, you know, a year or two in that we had to have a rule that when we got home, we wouldn't talk about business because it just was all consuming our life. And maybe we would have, you know, 30 minutes before bed to like catch up after like a 16 hour day. And if that was often about work and where motions are running high because we're stressed and tired, it would, you know, could turn into an argument so easily. So that was a huge decision or that was like really needed at the time and really, you know, helped us um, just connect more as a couple and then keep work separate. And now that line is very blurred, but we are in a way different position than, than we were then. Like our hours are less and, you know, we can talk quietly at home about work for an hour or two and, and then kind of transition, transition into, you know, normal life. Uh, And we still have those discussions, you know, sometimes if we feel like those lines are getting too blurred and we're kind of both doing the same thing in the business, we'll sit down and say, okay, you know what, I'm actually going to take this and you're going to take this. And we'll even talk to our team about it and be like, if you need this, this is, you know, if you need anything to do with like food, um, menu, te- menu development, you talk to Kelly, 
anything that's like staffing or like HR or anything like that, like you talk to, you talk to Jamie. Right. So we still have to kind of make that distinction every once in a while when, you know, you just kind of get going and in the flow of things and we're both in the business a lot. So sometimes, you know, people will just go to the first person that they see. Right. Um, but it's really been helpful just really defining like who's doing what, um, we write job rules for each other, like job descriptions, like once a year, share it with each other, share it with our team. Right. So it's really clear. Yeah. Who's doing what in the business. Right. And what advice could you give people who are looking for a good business partner? Yeah. What is the, I mean, it's different because you're obviously in a relationship with him yeah. as well, <laughs> but what yeah. like qualities that you would look for, for a good business partner? I would put them through an intense interview process. I mean, picking a business partner is almost more important than picking up like a partner in life. <laughs> There's a lot of things that, you know, your partner in life can get away with because, you know, you might want to have sex that night. So right. you'll just, or like that sexual energy can kind of get, right. you know, can get account for a lot. But with your partner in business, you probably don't have that. So, you know, when you are really mad at them about something, um, there better be a way that you can, you know, communicate with them. And so I think that doing like your upfront homework and really putting them through like an intensive uh, interview process, getting everything out on the table beforehand, you know, thinking about all the scenarios. Like if, you know, if you get divorced, like what's happening with, you know, with your shares or if you, it, whatever, like if you, I'm, I was going to say die, that sounds like right. so morbid, <laughs> but just basically yeah. getting it all, all, all on the table. So right. you kind of have, make all those decisions when you're friends that maybe if there comes a point when you're not friends, that it at least is like all, you know, laid out legally. Yeah. But picking a partner is tough. And I mean, one, you know, people told us don't go into business together. Mm -hmm. One thing I love about being in business with my partners that I know whatever decision he makes is, has my best interest in it as well. And I know that, you know, he'll have my back no matter what decision I make, even if it was maybe a bad decision for the business, he might, you know, quietly not support it at home, but in front of the rest of the team, like he will. So I've personally loved being in business with, with my partner. Mm-hmm. No, that's awesome. And this question we kind of already talked about a little bit, but how you manage a work-life balance, which yeah. obviously has gotten better over the last yeah. couple of years, but is there any other? I mean, I am a huge fan of block scheduling. I don't know if you know what that is. I schedule out everything. So every week I write a to-do list. I schedule my like me things first. So I'll schedule like my workouts. Um, if I'm doing like meditation, like yoga, uh, journaling, all those kind of things go on my schedule like first, and then I'll build in what my work day is. So if I have to go, you know, if I have to be in the restaurant, um, maybe I'm working a service, you know, for lunchtime, I'll put that in and then I'll kind of work my to-do list in around that. So my days and weeks are like heavily are heavily scheduled, but it's, it's made me so efficient. I had someone tell me once, you know, if you sleep eight or nine hours a night and you work like a 56 hour work week, you still have 56 hours left in your week to do something else. And when you look at it like that, you're like, okay, I can get way more done than I'm doing right now. Yeah. So I, yeah. So I just schedule everything. Um, I used to go back and like reflect on my schedule for the week, kind of pay attention to where I maybe lost time, um, what I maybe was wasting time on. And then just try and do it better the the next week. And that's been huge for work-life balance, especially scheduling. Like m- my priorities for me are my health. If I get my workouts in and I do meditation and journaling, 
I'm a way better boss. I'm way, way more present at work. And so if I, if I can get those things done in my week, then I know that I can accomplish like anything else. Right. And do you use like your phone or do you have an actual like calendar? I use, I use my, I, I journal a lot. So I write down my to-do list. I always do like three personal and three professional goals for my week as well. Um, and then those kind of get scheduled into my, um, my, uh, schedule and then I'll take it from there after it's on paper and then I'll put it actually into my calendar, my phone. I use Fantastical. Yeah. There's a great app. Yeah. Oh, that's good to know. I was just using my like (laughs) calendar thing, but I'll have to look into that. Um, and what do you do when you do have the life side of it? How do you disconnect and relax besides working out? Yeah. Um, I, I actually try and turn my technology off from 10 PM to 7 AM, which wasn't always possible before because if there was an emergency at the restaurant, you know, I'd be the one to get a phone call. Um, but now I have a big management team that protect me from that. So I actually have my phone set up so that all my programs get shut off automatically at 10 o'clock and then they're not available to me until 7 AM. Uh, that's a huge, that's a huge one because I'm not, you know, um, distracted by, you know, being able to go on Instagram or if you want to, it'll still let you, but then there's, it's asks you again, if you really want to (laughs) override it. Um, so that definitely helps me, helps me disconnect. And, uh, yeah, I mean the meditation I do is not like, I don't sit and like chant or anything, (laughs) but at least five times or three times a day for five minutes, I'll just turn my phone off, um, or any technology that I have around me. And I'll just kind of like sit with my thoughts and like see what comes up and then like journal about that. And I, think that like having that space to just be like sit and be quiet is so important because it's kind of when I come up with like my most creative ideas or if I'm stuck on something it's when I kind of become unstuck and I kind of just see where I need to go rather than just being distracted all the time right yeah and then I make I try and make time for for friends and stuff as well like I'll have maybe once um once or twice a week I'll you know have either like coffee or like a yoga date or go for lunch or something with a friend and and just have my phone off yeah, that, that for me is huge. It's just trying to not have that, that distraction. Mm-hmm. No, it is distraction. Especially because yeah. you get on your phone, you go on Instagram and all of a sudden you're looking at emails and then you're like totally. in the rabbit hole. Of- totally. And I'm a really, like, I'm an abstract communicator and the way that I communicate is also the way that I am with technology. Right. So I'll be like half writing an email and then I'll have a thought and then I'll go and like check out something on a website and then I, that email hasn't got done and it just takes right. me like twice as long to do anything. So I really need to like sit down and like be focused when I'm doing something. Right. I'm sure yeah. everybody needs to yeah. work on that. <laughs> um, and a couple more questions. Mm-hmm. What is next for, for you, for the business in the next few years? I mean, the business, we're pretty uh, like happy where we are right now. I mean, we we're always working on, um, you know, whether it's like, just being better at the service that we're bringing to our guests or, you know, thinking about like new suppliers, um, or how we can get more like local products. And there's new farmers, um, and new people doing stuff like all the time in the city. So it's a really fun time to be a restaurant tour because there's, you know, a lot of young people that are, you know, doing like aeroponics or aquaponics and like, so there's lots of new stuff coming up. So we're always kind of working on, on stuff like that. We have a really hard time, um, just saying status quo, which I think sometimes is challenging for our team. We have weekly meetings and we'll just go in and we're just like, we have all these ideas. We want to implement all these things. And, but I really think to be like a relevant business, it's like a fine balance of, you know, keeping kind of the classic things that people like love about your business, but then also kind of staying relevant 
in the city and always like finding new new customers because you know somebody said to me once um you know restaurants don't age but your customer does and it's so true because like i said earlier like a lot of our customers you know now have like kids and families so they might come to uno once a month whereas before they were coming maybe three or five times a week um but with you know kids and babysitters and it's like a whole new thing now so we're kind of always trying to you know find that new customer but then you still want to keep your old customers as well so it's just to find a fine balance of you know not resting on your laurels and always kind of pushing pushing the envelope as well right uh so that for the businesses is, is uh is kind of just yeah what we're working on for now yeah yeah no plans on expansion no <laughs> like what's the next restaurant? yeah <laughs> uh is there a book or podcast that you would recommend to listeners uh, my favorite podcast is the school of greatness with lewis house oh, yes. yeah such a good one <laughs> uh even if i'm having like a down like a down day or i kind of need a bit of inspiration like i'll just put on like one of his like five minute fridays uh, but yeah he interviews like great guests and i've actually had the opportunity to go to like some great events from hearing about them through like people he's he's interviewed um or like read great books from people that he's he's had on or even finding other podcasts so he's 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 my favorite especially for entrepreneurs or anyone that's interested in in business mm-hmm. and he just is so yeah uplifting and and positive and yeah i really love and he doesn't interrupt his guests but a lot of podcasters you know i get distracted by like i tim ferris has great people on there but i feel like he's they'll be like going on a tangent maybe about something that i think is really interesting and then he interrupts mm-hmm. right so that i find distracting but lewis house is just a really good interviewer i think he just lets it go where it needs to go yeah. um that would be my favorite without fail i do really love as well you know he interviews some really interesting people like even some like you know executives of, Dis- of disney that got fired and like that process and like what happened and so really and just again, it puts it into perspective that like, no matter where you're at, like every person has failures. And just because you don't see someone struggling doesn't mean that they're not. And and I really love that. This through Gimlet Media, I don't know if you know that. Uh, mm-hmm. So they, they actually, their first podcast was called Startup. And it was a startup podcast about them starting a podcast company. Oh my God. <laughs> and now they have other seasons of it with different companies. Yeah. Uh, but they do like everything that Gimlet Media does is is really well done really well produced and like really good interviewers and yeah uh, and then for a book i don't i'm a voracious reader i like read like all the time like so much um one of my book that i'm reading right now that i think that every woman should read is called um the woman who run with wolves and it's uh uh about like it's written by um a phd and she's a psychoanalyst and she talks about this like wild woman archetype that historically, you know, was throughout all these cultures that they had these like stories about these like wild women who were like healers in their communities and and how we've kind of like lost that and how it's kind of important to to for like women now to to reconnect with like nature and like reconnect with that like side of themselves. Oh. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. It's a bit scientific, but it's yeah. it's, it's interesting. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and where can people connect with you? I'm pretty easy to find uh, on Instagram. I'm just just Jamie's account with a Y, <laughs> um, and through the restaurants as well. Um, my email uh, is just Jamie at bmex.ca. 
Um, and I do love a good old-fashioned phone call, too. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I will not be calling. So like when you text me on the DM, you're like, here's my email. Or you could call me. I was like, I'll send you now. <laughs> like, thanks yeah. for the offer. <laughs> yeah, it's a, dying, it's a dying art, but I just feel like I can get so much more done on a call. Totally. Than, yeah. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Well, that was amazing. Um, it's always exciting to hear the backstory of all the things, like the, our favorite restaurants. I'm sure everybody who's listening has been to at least one of them. So it's always interesting to hear the story. So thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me.